So here we are in 1 Thessalonians. Last week we finished looking at the first chapter. Uh, we were three weeks in the first chapter. But remember last week we saw Paul talking to them and talking about them becoming followers of himself, but more so followers of the Lord. And we talked about that call that when we come to Christ, first and foremost, we are called to follow the Lord. We're called to walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're called to a walk with him, having our eyes on him. And in that as well, God has appointed and ordained and anointed leaders in the local church body. And the Lord wants us to follow those leaders as they're following the Lord. And all of us are following him together. And we also talked about the fact that if you want to ever lead, we need to first learn to follow. We need to learn to follow him. And we need to learn to follow those that are following the Lord. Remember, testing them and testing those that are leading and holding them to an accountability. But absolutely, if we want to lead others, if we want to lead others in the Lord, we need to follow the Lord. And part of that is following those that God has set up to lead others as they're following the Lord as well. So absolutely, you know what? A, a great word for us, a reminder for us. We also saw Paul talking about their testimony, their witness that had gone forth. He didn't need to tell anyone about them because it had gone forth mightily, not just in word and them sharing the gospel, but in their actions. And talked about how everyone knew they had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to await the soon return of the Lord, to be gathered into his presence and to be delivered from the wrath, of, the, the wrath to come. And Paul introduces something there that's littered throughout this uh, epistle, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Lord willing we'll get deeper into in the weeks to come. Now this morning again as we start chapter 2, we're going to see Paul talking about his coming to them was not in vain. And I think we're going to find great encouragement in this because true ministry and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is never a vain thing. Even when we're not seeing the results that we want to see. Even when we're sharing the gospel and we're not seeing people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there are still things that are happening. God does not want us to be discouraged, but he wants us to press on. And the ministries he's called us to, and us doing the work of an evangelist that he's, all call, he's called us all to do, and sharing the gospel with others. We'll also see this morning that God does not want us to let suffering or the, 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 uh, you know, the threat of suffering or conflict keep us from sharing the gospel either. He doesn't want us to shrink back, and we'll talk about how this is a real tactic from the enemy, especially here in the West, just the threat of maybe a suffering or being a little uncomfortable, causing us to shrink back, and when we're doing that, we're giving more reverence to the enemy of our soul in the world than to God Almighty. And then finally, we're going to see Paul uh, declaring that his exhortation, his urgent pleading with them to come to Christ from the Scriptures didn't come from error and and cleanliness or from deceit. There's a whole lot for us there as well in sharing the gospel, some encouragements and some things to consider. So let's read the text together, then we'll just dive into this and make our way down through these three verses this morning. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. Now again, a few weeks back, we looked at how Paul came to Thessalonica. But just by way of reminder, remember it was Paul's second missionary journey. He had intended to go out with 
Barnabas, but a dispute, a sharp contention rose up between the two of them concerning John Mark and so forth. And basically, they ended up going in different directions. Now, later on, all that would be reconciled. At the time, God would use it for good, really to double the work of the ministry. So Paul set forth with Silas, who was a leading man there in the church. He was a man that was a prophet. He was a man that absolutely was respected by others because of his walk with the Lord. This wasn't a new convert, but a very seasoned believer in the Lord. He partnered with Paul. And then of coming to Lystra, there was Timothy, a younger man that had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who also was spoken well of by the believers. He had a testimony. And so they were shown to Paul to be men that he was to take and partner with in spreading the gospel. Remember, initially they wanted to go to Asia, but the Lord shut that door. In fact, it says that Satan prevented them from going to Asia. And God used Satan there as an instrument to close a door. But absolutely, God had another door that he was opening. And remember, Paul had the vision of the man in Macedonia saying, Coming, come over here and help us. And so Paul knew from that vision that God gave that God was opening another door. From there, they went into Philippi. We'll talk more about that a little later in our message this morning. And from there, to Thessalonica. And as he came there to Thessalonica, Paul didn't come with a bunch of, you know what, personal stories and, you know what, jokes and so forth. There might have been some illustrations and maybe some humor there or here or there, but he came with the scriptures. He came with the gospel. He came and he preached Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Notice Acts 17, 1. It says, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach you is the Christ. So Paul came to them with the Scriptures. Now listen, there was not a New Testament at this point that had been compiled. Parts of the New Testament were being written as the Lord was moving upon men of God, as the Holy Spirit was giving them that inspiration to write the word of truth. We talked about the fact that this was most likely Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians. The epistle to the Galatians may have been written before, but this was one of the early epistles. The gospels were still coming together and so forth. So the New Testament was in the process of being written, but absolutely the Old Testament was fully intact, was fully read, was fully taught from, and when Paul showed up, it wasn't just the testimony that he had seen Jesus and the disciples had seen Jesus. Yes, that was absolutely shared that he rose from the dead, but Paul started with the scriptures. Paul took them to the Old Testament. Paul showed them how Jesus Christ was the Messiah, how he fulfilled the prophecies that were given concerning the first coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He showed the Messiah had to suffer as Christ suffered. He showed him the Messiah had to be resurrected from the dead as Christ rose from the dead. No doubt he took him to verses like Genesis 3.15. Remember after man fell, God gave the promise of the Messiah to come. And he was speaking to the serpent who had tempted man. And remember man, listen to that lie. If you eat of the tree, you won't die, you'll be like God. Boy, that lie still spreading through the world today. And man ate from that tree and yet... He didn't become God, he died. He became separated from God Almighty, but God brought the gospel. 
And it's the first mention of the Messiah to come. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent here. And he says, between your seed and her seed, and then notice here, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about the Messiah would suffer. His heel would be bruised, but he would crush the serpent's head. These Jews needed to hear this. The Gentiles needed to hear this. Because remember, they thought the, the Messiah would come. He would conquer Rome. He would come and he would usher in, you know, this great kingdom. But Jesus came to bring in not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. No doubt Paul took him to places like Isaiah 53. We read about the suffering servant. We read about Christ and what he would go through on the cross. Verse 5, it says, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. So Paul took him to these Old Testament passages that showed the Messiah would suffer for our sins. No doubt he showed them that all those sacrifices that they brought under the Old Covenant never satisfied God. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But those things were a foreshadow. They were a shadow of the substance. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus who would fulfill their faith, who would absolutely atone for the sins of the world through his death, as the wrath of the Father will be poured out on Jesus Christ instead of it being poured out upon us. And then he also showed how Jesus had to be resurrected from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're fools. The Bible says we should eat, drink, and be merry, and we are a pitiful group if we're just gathered together here And our Messiah has not risen from the dead, but indeed he has. And the scriptures prophesied that he would. Psalm 16.10 says, uh, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so Paul showed him how Jesus had to resurrect, to, to defeat sin, death, and Satan. That through him and faith in him, now we would have victory over those things and no longer be subjected to the second death. This is the gospel. This is good news. Listen, it's bad news that we are sinners. It's bad news that we're under the wrath and judgment of God. The good news is that Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin and he rose from the grave that through faith in him, when we call on his name, when we repent and turn from what our Lord is and ask Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we can know that we know that we know that we are born again. We have hope in the Lord that we are secure in him forever and ever and ever and ever. And so this is what Paul came with. He came and he preached the scriptures. He showed them that Christ was the Messiah. And he says here in the first verse of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you yourself know, brethren, our coming to you is not in vain. Now, if something is vain, it means it's useless. It means it doesn't produce results. It means it's hopeless or pointless. And we need to know that when we are about the business of God, and all of us have gifts that have been given to us by the Lord. In Christ Jesus, we have a call upon our lives. When we're about his business, and when we are sharing the scriptures, when we are sharing the gospel, hear this this morning, that is never a vain thing, even if everyone we're sharing with rejects the gospel and wants nothing to do with the Lord. Because God's word never returns void. It never returns empty. God's word always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. Notice Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, 
that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper the thing for which I sent it. And so, listen, the ministry God's called us to, the proclamation of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, it is to his pleasure and to accomplish that which he wants it to accomplish. It's all about him. It's all about what he sets forth. But it's easy for us to be discouraged at times in our ministry and in times of proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ when we are not seeing the results that we want to see to his pleasure but also to our pleasure. And God's word is full of examples like this. Of men, of women, and the ministry they've been called to, and the proclamation of the word of truth, the gospel not seeing what they wanted to see and getting greatly discouraged in those efforts. Let me ask you, have you ever been discouraged in sharing the gospel in your ministry? I I know some of you have because I talked to you guys. I can think of you in the last month talking to different people, just saying, I'm really discouraged because I'm sharing the gospel with my family and they're rejecting it. They're not wanting to hear it. I'm discouraged because of my workplace. I'm sharing the gospel and it's not being received. And they, they've marked me as being a peculiar person, you know. They don't greet me with big smiles anymore at the water cooler and so forth. It's easy to get to that place. Think about Moses. who, For much of his ministry, he's a type of Christ. He's used as a deliverer. He's an intercessor. He's not the Christ, but he's a type of Christ. But as they get deeper into that wilderness, Moses gets more and more frustrated. I mean, Moses, who was bringing him the word of God over and over again, who went up to Mount Sinai to get the law of God to bring it to him. You know, they keep going to these different places where there's not water and so forth, and the people grumble and complain. Then Moses intercedes, and he prays, and God shows them what to do to bring forth water. And finally, they come to a place, and they're complaining once again. And the Lord says, speak to this rock, and water will come out. And Moses, in his frustration, because he's not seeing the change he wants to see in these folks, he doesn't speak to the rock, but instead he beats it. He strikes it twice. He's not seeing what he wants to see. He's discouraged. He's frustrated. Have you ever felt like smacking a rock? Because in your ministry, you're not seeing what you want to see. Think about Elijah. Well, you talk about a guy who was bold for the Lord, a prophet of God. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the scriptures, stood for the truth of the word of God. I mean, he was up at Mount Carmel with the showdown with the prophets of Baal and so forth, and God brought great victory. Then at the threat of Jezebel wanting to kill him, remember, he fled, and he ended up in a cave, and he was very discouraged. It says here in 1 Kings nineteen fourteen, he said to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord of Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And then he declares, I alone am, le- I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Sounds like he's a little discouraged, right? And then later on he says, listen, there's 7,000 that have a bit need of bail. Get up and go do what I've called you to do. But the point here, again, is the fact that like them, there's times we get discouraged. We don't feel like our ministry is accomplishing what we want it to see. We don't feel like the gospel is accomplishing what we want it to accomplish. And we need to know that when we are walking, what God has called us to walk in, and when we're sharing his truth, we are sharing the gospel. We are never, 
acting in vain, but things are happening. God's truth is going forth. Things absolutely are being accomplished to his pleasure and for his purposes. Now, no doubt there's times when God's word goes forth. Glory be to God, all praise be to God. There are people that get born again. Absolutely, the gospel needs to go forth for people to get born again. The gospel needs to be shared. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Think about 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Yes, absolutely, we want to, we've been saved on the good works, we want to walk in those good works, but those good works in themselves don't save people, we need to share the gospel with folks. We've got to open the word of God, share the message of the cross, because it is the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Peter 1, 23, it says, we having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And there's times when the gospel's shared and we see salvation come forth, we're able to be there for the harvest, and it's an incredible thing. It's a glorious thing. And it was the case there in Thessalonica. Paul came, he shared the gospel, he shared the truth with them, and absolutely there were many in Thessalonica that got saved. Again, Acts 17, 4, it picks up from what we looked at earlier in Acts 17, 1 through 3, where he came and he, for three Sabbaths, preached the gospel with them, opened the scriptures, so Jesus had to suffer and rise again from the grave. And then in Acts 4 it says, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So quite a few people responded. Many of the devout Greeks and more than a few of the leading women, they heard the gospel. They saw that Jesus had fulfilled those scriptures. They indeed saw that the Messiah had to suffer. He had to be resurrected from the grave. And it resonated in their heart. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And they called on the name of the Lord, and they responded to the work of the Holy Spirit of God through the proclamation of the Scriptures. Later on in this chapter, in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So throughout this, we see he brings the word of God. And for many in Thessalonica who believe, boy, it wasn't a vain thing. I mean, now he is calling them brethren. You yourself know brethren. Before, they were not brethren. They were enemies of God. But through faith in Christ, they have been grafted in. They're children of God now. And then notice here, he says, you yourself know. They knew Paul's coming was not in vain. He's writing to the believers here. They knew it was in vain because when he preached the gospel, they responded. Now let me ask you this morning, it's a question I ask quite often. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that this morning? Now would you not agree that when the gospel was brought to you, it wasn't a vain thing? And someone in some fashion was used by God to bring the gospel to you. Someone shared with you. Maybe for some of you, you grew up in a, in, a, in a non-Christian home, but you had that aunt or that uncle or that grandparent who you spent a little time with, and when you spent time with them, they always shared the gospel with you. 
And eventually, you know, it led you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe others, a coworker, or, you know, it's someone that, another parent on your kid's soccer team or something like that. The gospel was shared with you by someone and you responded. Maybe shared by a series of people, but they shared and you heard the gospel and you responded. That wasn't a vain thing, was it? Maybe others, you just found a track somewhere with the gospel in it. And you may be sitting there saying, no one shared it with me. I came to the Lord on my own through that track. Well, listen, someone wrote that track and put the scriptures in it, and someone printed that track, and someone took that track out of their house, out of the package, and they put it somewhere for you to find it. So that wasn't a vain thing, was it? Maybe others are saying, well, I just read the Bible. Well, listen, again, God inspired that Bible, but God used men to print that Bible and distribute that Bible and somehow get that Bible into your hands. And again, God's the one that saves us, but he uses us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe others, you listen to the radio. You were listening to 103.9, maybe, FM. Or you were listening to a podcast where there was a pastor who was being faithful to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That wasn't a vain thing, was it? They themselves knew it was a vain because Paul preached the gospel and they repented and had come faith to come to faith in Jesus Christ, they had become born again. They had become grafted into the family of God. They knew it was not in vain. And shouldn't that be enough to stir us to always preach the gospel? That when it was brought to us, it wasn't a vain thing. We responded. That should encourage us to proclaim truth, to press forward, no matter how much we may be getting discouraged, you know, but someone shared with me and I responded and there's others like me out there whom the Lord is calling to himself, and they're going to respond as well. That should be enough to encourage us, yet there are so many people that say they're Christians, and there's even so many pastors today that say they are Christians, yet they never share the gospel, or they rarely share it. Could it be they've either forgotten what they once knew? These in Thessalonica had not forgotten. It was fresh on their mind. Paul came and shared the gospel. It wasn't in vain. Because they believed. Let's not forget what we once knew, amen, that the gospel was shared with us and we responded. Let's not forget that this morning. Or worse, maybe some of these folks never really heard the gospel, never really responded to the gospel. That's a frightening thought. Listen, I get this magazine and, and probably just about every pastor in America at one point or another gets a copy of this magazine sent to them. It's called Outreach Magazine. And it's been around for about 15 years. Back when it originally came out, the first few years, it seemed to be fairly solid and so forth. I got this copy of this thing the other day. It's pretty much all about church growth, how to make your church bigger and whatnot. I picked this thing up and I'm flipping through this thing. It's about 150 pages long, and it's all these church growth techniques and so forth and all this stuff to go out to do to make yourself popular in the community and so forth. And from the front of the cover of that thing to the back of it, there's not one point in it where it talks about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's zero emphasis in it about sharing the scriptures. And I start to get a little curious. I'm looking at the individual on the front of this thing, I, I don't know who this person is. I've never seen this person. They're part of some group with the word um, 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 evangelical is in the title of the, of the group they're involved in. And evangelical means you believe uh, in, in the gospel. It means you believe the scriptures. You believe that God said it and that settles it and that's the truth. 
And we have something called Google today, so I, I'm just curious. So I look up their group, and, and on, on this, this individual's website, there's nothing about repentance. There's no statement of faith. And then as I go deeper into it, I find out they're an advocate for homosexuality. They're anti-Israel. So on and so forth. Just one thing after another. Now, again, God loves homosexuals. He loves fornicators, adulterers. But he died on the cross so that they could be washed and forgiven and become a new creation in Christ and God could begin to do a work in their hearts and, and to comfort someone in their sin. Boy, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. As I've shared many times, I was a gross fornicator before I came to the Lord and the last thing I needed was to someone to come along to me and say, well, listen, that's how you were born. And listen, I was born fornicating. I needed someone to come and say, there's hope for you because I was dying inside. I knew I was filthy. I knew I was a, uh, I, I was a, 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 a whore. I knew I needed to be cleansed. I knew I was not right with the living God. Boy, what a horrific message if someone in the name of God would have said, you're fine as you are. That's how you were born. Walk in it. It comes natural to you. Embrace it. I praise God for those that said, Steve, you're a sinner. You need to repent. God wants to wash you and cleanse you and make you right. He wants to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It was such good news. And it just broke my heart. And I started looking at the editors of this magazine, men like Rick Ward and Ed Sitzer and all these different men that so many people know about. And I'm thinking, do they even know what's going on here? This is not only, not only the gospel, it's a false gospel, a, a false hope. We should be proclaiming the gospel at every single turn. It should be going forth from every pulpit at every message. And we should be taking it out to the world around us. They need to hear that Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. And we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. And he says, whoever will call on my name will be saved. No matter whatever pit, muck, or mire that we are in. It's not in vain because there's people that get saved. Let's remember that. It's also not in vain because there are times when we are just seed planting and watering seeds. Most people that I know that when they come to Christ, it's been a series of individuals sharing the gospel with them. Maybe it started with that grandma or aunt or uncle when they were a kid. And then they got into college and there was that one weird guy that was peculiar, that was different than everyone else, that was always smiling, who was faithful to share with them about Jesus. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't rile them or get them upset. Maybe some of you are that guy this morning, right? And then in the workplace, you know, 10 years later, there was another guy there who shared the gospel, who shined for the Lord. And then finally, you know, they were 50 years old and they, 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 they had come to the end of the rope and they're walking with their head down and they saw that gospel track that had been given to someone who mocked the person who gave it to him, and that person left discouraged, and then they left, and they, they threw it down on the ground and walked away, and this guy came along and said, what's that? And it came back to them, and sharing the gospel went over, and they fell on their knees, and they said, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they got born again, and they got saved. There's times we're just seed planting. We're watering seeds. I think in my life, a series of individuals, at different times when they, they, they didn't even know they had impacted me, and probably walked away after I scowled at them or said, who knows what. And they were planting that seed. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Again, so oftentimes we get caught up in the results. We get caught up in seeing the harvest. There's times we may not see the harvest. We just see the seed go into the ground and the water go on top or whatever it is. But the Lord says there's still that reward in walking and obeying him. Think about Legion. The Lord left a multitude of folks across the Sea of Galilee to go to a man that was out of his mind, possessed by 2,000 demons, who those in Gadara had said, we want nothing to do with this guy. Chain him up in the cemetery to get him out. He's a menace. And yet the Lord went to him, cast those demons out. The man was in his right mind, came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all this went down, the people of Gadara came out and they said, get out of here, Jesus. We want nothing to do with you. And the man basically said, I want to come with you, Lord. He said, no, you need to stay here and share with others. And he must have done a phenomenal job of seed planting and watering because the next time the Lord came to Gadara, everyone came out and he said, we want Jesus. What a glorious thing. Too many times we talk about legion and we just talk about the demons. This man was an evangelist, a seed planter, a water, a water of seeds. A man anointed and used by God in a phenomenal way. There's other times, again, in our ministry, the sharing of the gospel. When, when we're exercising those gifts, the body of Christ is built up, right? That's never a vain thing. And then there's other times, listen, when the gospel is rejected. Like with many more in Thessalonica, some believe, but more rejected. Do we say that's a vain thing? When people reject the gospel... There's a judgment that's heaped up upon them. The Lord talks about those cities that he went to where there were great miracles done, where the gospel was preached by the Lord as he always opened the scriptures. This is found in Matthew 11. And he says, woe to you. Because if these things had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre, they would have repented. But the fact these things have been done here and you have rejected them, there's going to be more of a judgment upon you than upon them. He also says your cities will never be inhabited again. If you go to those cities today, they're not inhabited to this day. And this is to the glory of God. Because the more wrath and judgment that rest upon individuals that reject them, it is a greater picture of, again, the grace and mercy of God. The more you reject grace and mercy, the more judgment is heaped upon you. And God and his judgments will be glorified because his judgments are righteous. They are pure. They are honorable. It's to his glory. It's not to his demise. There are many people that want to villainize God today because there's a place called hell. Hell is there because of Satan and his angels when they rebelled. And it's there for man when he went along with that call and still to this day reject the Lord despite him going to the cross to die for them. And God in those judgments will be glorified and God will be honored and God will be praised. Make no mistake about it. Also, listen, when we obey, God is glorified, and there's nothing greater or vain in that. Listen to 1 Peter 4.14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blaspheme, but on your part, he is glorified. Listen, this is walking in love. 
There's a lot of talk about love today. Oh, let's just all love one another. We hear that all the time, right? Love wins. Well, what is love? Second John verse 6, this is love that we would walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. It's a loving thing to share the gospel with others, to walk in your ministry, to say, I want to obey the Lord. And God's not concerned with the results. The results are going to be what God wants them to be. Listen to Micah 6.8. He has shown you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And nothing there about results, right? And save 152 people in the course of your life. It doesn't say that. Now, if 152 people get saved, glory be to God. But if none get saved and yet you've walked in obedience to him, glory be to God. Did God chastise Noah because there were only eight on the ark? No, he said, you're a righteous man. I'm well pleased in you because you actually have faith in me. Did God chastise Jeremiah because I don't know if anyone got converted. There's a few other names that are mentioned that, you know what, Barak and some others but it seems like they were kind of part of the ministry at the beginning. But Jeremiah is held in regard in the scriptures as one of the great prophets because he obeyed. He obeyed despite not seeing those results. And it could perhaps be that those that are faithful despite seeing that even have the greatest rewards on judgment day because they press through versus being discouraged and stopping. And they just said, listen, I'm doing it unto the Lord. Doing it under God. It's easy sometimes when the harvest is all there to start doing it under the people and the props and so forth, right? Sometimes blessings can become the biggest curses when they become idols. And boy, make no mistake, ministry can become an idol very easily. Now notice verse 2, and we'll go a little quicker here. It says, but even after we had suffered and before we were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Again, the doors closed to Asia. The Macedonia call went forth. Paul arrived at Philippi. There was no synagogue there. So he went down to the riverside. It seems that's where the Jews would gather and some other Gentiles and so forth. He preaches the gospel. A a lady named Lydia and all the household is getting saved. And then in the next scene in Acts 16, 16, Paul's going through the street, going to pray, and a demon-possessed girl starts following him. And you would think that perhaps she would start cursing them, cursing them and doing all this stuff. But instead she proclaims, these are servants of the most high God. Listen to them. And it says, after many days, Paul, being annoyed in his spirit, finally cast the demons out. Now this girl, she had masters. She was a slave. There were many slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And again, that spirit in her was a spirit of divination fortune-telling, and so forth. And all those things are occultic practices, and we do not want to participate in those to this day. They're not of God. They're demons. You're not talking to your uncle. That's a familiar spirit, a demon that knows all about you, or communicating to another spirit that knows all about you. And when the hope for profit was gone, it says they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace and the authorities. They were infuriated that Paul had done this. And notice Acts 20, or 16, verse 20, it says they brought them to the magistrates and said... These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. 
Notice verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. And then at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns. And it says all the other prisoners were listening. The place shook. The prison doors opened. The shackles fell off of them. And the jailer was about to kill himself because, remember, they trusted him into his hands. And he knew if they're gone, I'm gone. And that's when Paul says, don't do it, we're all here. And remember what the man cried out, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household will get saved. And he believed, his household believed. A revival broke out in that jail. And then the next day, they go to release Paul and he says, should you be doing this to a Roman citizen? Remember they said, oh, we're Romans, these things are against our customs. And they realize, uh-oh, And listen, Paul could have made life horrific for them. And they said, will you just please go? And Paul left. He didn't repay evil for evil. Now, again, there's a place to stand on the law. Later on, Paul would plead to Caesar. But at this point, he had somewhere to go. And he came here. And listen, what he did in Philippi wasn't in vain for them. It wasn't in vain for us. We have the epistle to the Philippians. And it wasn't vain for those in Thessalonica because it seems when Paul arrived, they knew what had just happened to this guy in Philippi. They knew this guy was just beaten with rods, beaten with stripes, and shackles the door open. And now he's here. He hasn't shrunk back. This guy's willing to die and suffer for this message and made the message even all the more powerful when he pressed forward. And see, Paul didn't shrink back. He continued to be bold in the gospel despite the sufferings, the conflict that he endured, and the conflict that awaited him in Thessalonica, which indeed did. You can read about it in Acts 17. Remember the whole God, Jesus told Paul he'd suffer many things for his name. And there's a great tactic of Satan today when it comes to our ministries and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's either to inflict pain or to bring threats of pain to get Christians to compromise truth and to shrink back from sharing the gospel to get them to quit, to go into a corner and to tremble at Satan and the world, to fear him over God and to give him reverence that is due only to our Lord. And I would say in the West, the threat of pain, and I emphasize the threat of pain, and the threat of being a little uncomfortable, the threat of not being liked by everybody, is the biggest tactic that the enemy uses or one of the biggest tactics to get people to say mum's the word about sharing the gospel. Now listen, in the east, they get stripes. In parts in the south, they get stripes. Sometimes it's their life. But here in the west, oftentimes it's just the threat of pain. Yes, we hear about or our rights are being struck away and they didn't let the kids share about Jesus at the graduation ceremony and so forth. But when was the last time you heard about Stripes. We need, we need to get ready because that day may be coming really, really, really soon. Like next week, it could be coming. But here it just seems the threat. The threat of stripes, the threats of not being like. And we can't shrink back. Because just as the Lord told Paul, listen, there's adversity and conflict that's awaiting you. He's told us the same thing. 
If you're going to live for the Lord, there's going to be conflict. And at times, there's going to be much conflict from our own flesh that wars against our soul, from the enemy of our soul, and from this fallen world. At times, even from loved ones. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus Christ said, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And he talks about family members turning against each other. And he said, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. He gave them to you in the first place. And if you really want to love them, you need to love the Lord first and foremost. The first command is to love God. The second command is to love our neighbor as yourself. You can't fulfill the second unless you're first walking in the first. And then Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.10, you have... But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, what happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but listen, out of all of them, the Lord delivered me, praise God. And then he says in verse 12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Is that any of us this morning? Do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Can you say amen to that? Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then that was for some, well, that was back then, not today. Oh, wait, but evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, again, he's going to deliver us out of them all, whether it's here or when we go to be with them there. Deliverance is a coming. It is coming. But in the meantime, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus... Conflict is a coming. In times, there will be much conflict. Now, we want to make sure the conflict's not because of us, but because of the gospel and truth. But he's going to deliver us out of it. And he's with us to the end of the age. And Paul says, we didn't shrink back just because we were spitefully treated. You knew we were bold to speak the gospel in much conflict. So he's encouraging them to do the same because in Thessalonica, there was conflict. They were new believers and they were persecuted believers and yet the church was flourishing there. And then in verse 3, we're almost done here, but there's some gems here in verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it a deceit. Now an exhortation means to to emphatically urge. Paul brought the gospel and then he urged them. You need to repent You need to put your faith in the Lord. You need to accept Christ. This is no small matter. Your soul hangs in the balance. And the case still today, our our lives is a vapor. It's a shadow. Life can be taken today. We need to be urging people, again, in a respectful manner, in a loving manner. We're not called to cuss pearls before swine. With some folks, you share with them, then you just need to leave it be and go pray with them. Pray for them. But we need to be emphatically urging folks. Life's is a vapor. I mean, think about just this past month in our nation, all the things unfolding. These hurricanes, and the Lord talks about disruptions in the sea before his coming. These mass shootings, and the Lord talks about the love of many growing cold. These fires, the Bible talks about disruptions and disturbances in the sky. Many people reporting just sparks in the sky, and this is coming down like a nuclear bomb. You look at the footage and it looks like a a bomb was set off. You look at gross immorality with 
a man revered by Hollywood who's been molesting women for years on end and people knowing about it but saying nothing lest they maybe lose their place. And you see all the divisions in our nation. Kingdom versus kingdom. Nation versus nation. We're in multiple wars as a nation. There's threat of World War III right now between Iran, Russia, the things going on in China and North Korea. Listen, Ezekiel 38 and 39 can start unfolding today. And then kingdom amongst kingdom with all these different groups against each other in our own nation. Satan even wanting to fuel our hearts with hate towards people that don't agree with us on things. Don't fall into that trap. Paul exhorted them because the time is now, it is urgent. Today's the day of salvation and now it's the acceptable time. And he says, and hear this this morning, this is huge. Our exhortation didn't come from error. Now, error means a mistake, bad judgment, or conduct. And there could have been many who said, listen, on that second missionary journey, Paul, you got a beat down. Boy, that was a mistake. A lot of times today, we judge whether things are good or bad by if we suffered or not. And we go and we do something, we're like, oh, I suffered. Boy, that was a mistake. If you're like, I want to get in shape, so I'm going to go to the gym and like, oh, this is hard and you suffer the next day, you're soaring like, man, I'm not going back there. I suffered. You'll never get into shape. Too many times, though, suffering's bad. Listen, suffering can be wonderful. We're not talking about penance to make us saved. We're saved through Christ's suffering. But just because we suffer, that's not a mistake. People got born again. God was glorified. On some's behalf, God was blasphemed, but on their behalf, God was honored. In Job, it says, man's bored for trouble and the sparks fly upwards. Listen, there's going to be sparks flying in your life no matter what. Better to light it, up, light it up for Jesus Christ. In my journeys throughout this earth, it seems like everywhere I go, there's sparks. Whether I'm living for him, and maybe that's just my makeup, or, or my, whether I was living not for him, and again, maybe that's my makeup, and then living for him, there's even more sparks when I was a sparkler before coming to know him. A troublemaker. You don't want me living next door to you back then. I make life uncomfortable for you. Far better to have sparks and conflict for the Lord. Hopefully that's not because of me. Hopefully I'm sharing the gospel in love. And at times it is because of me. And I need to repent of that and say I'm sorry. But people do risky things all the time. We take a risk when we get out of bed. Man, better to step out of faith. And Paul had been given a vision by God, opened a door. The gospel was preached. People got saved. And Paul said, we didn't come by error. It was a mistake that we came. In fact, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to realize it was never never a mistake when we stepped out of faith and we shared the word. We're going to realize the mistake was when we didn't. He also says we didn't come from uncleanness. I think this is huge. When something is unclean or uncleanliness, it means it's morally wrong. In Thessalonica, they charged them of turning the world upside down. They weren't saying that as a compliment. In Philippi, remember, they said, they're troubling the city. They were saying, these are criminals. What they're doing is morally wrong. They're offending culture by their message, by their methods, by what they are doing. And boy, isn't that the case today? Don't try to convert anybody. Don't share the gospel with anybody. They might feel uncomfortable and be offended. And now you are a troublemaker. 
Again, there are many places in the world today, if you share the gospel, you could lose your life, lose your job. In our country, people in some ways, in some places are losing their job. So standing for truth. And I'll tell you, a tactic of the enemy is to start us to believe that nonsense to say, if I share the gospel, I am immoral and I'm a troublemaker and I am the bigot that they say that I am. And I think some people even embrace that and they say, oh, this is my out from sharing the gospel. Now I can be liked by everybody and kind of go along with the program. Let's just focus in on doing things that the community likes. And yes, we should do things, but let's do it in the name of Jesus. Let's feed people, but let's bring the gospel. Let's do good works, but let's bring the gospel. If we're doing works without the gospel, those works aren't good. But again, the cry today, don't try to convert anyone. They might be offended. They might be uncomfortable. They might not like you, but listen, life without Jesus is much worse and hell forever is horrific. People need to hear the truth. And Paul says, we did not come from uncleanliness. And when you share the gospel, it is a pure thing. He also says, we didn't come from deceit. He's saying, we didn't come to mislead. And at this point, there were already false teachers everywhere that were driven by Satan, greed, and pride. He says, we didn't come to try to use you. Remember he says earlier in the first chapter, you knew what manner of men we were amongst you. They were kind, they were gentle. They didn't go there to fleece them. Those in Philippi were impoverished and they paid for that trip to Thessalonica. When Paul was driven out of there, they said, listen, we don't got a lot, but what we have, we want to give to you. And Paul says, you know what, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Paul didn't come in there and say, hey, you know what? You want to drive a Rolls Royce like me? Give me all your money. There's none of this prosperity nonsense. They knew he had come from a beatdown and he showed up anyway and shared truth with them because he knew that's what they needed to hear to get them saved and set free. And he went there to say, listen, I'm here to honor God and God's going to take care of me. And by the grace of God, we want to share in that manner as well. So God grant us grace and mercy. Let's stand up and close in prayer and in worship of our Lord. Well, Lord God, indeed, we praise you this day. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you that you were faithful to send your Holy Spirit to, convince, to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you were faithful to bring the gospel, Lord, to the door of our heart. We thank you, Lord, that you were faithful to cleanse us and wash us when we responded to your call to ask you to be our Lord and Savior. And, Lord, we pray now that you would strengthen us, God, to be faithful to walk in what you've called us to walk in and to share your truth with those around us, God. I hope and pray, God, that our faith has been built through the proclamation of truth today and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ today is the day of salvation listen I I would urge you you need to consider Jesus that's the most important thing you're ever going to do your eternity hangs on the balance have you called on his name 
Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And that means you are renouncing whatever your Lord is. You're turning from sin. You're calling sin, sin. And you're realizing you need to be washed. You're turning to Him for forgiveness. To be washed for salvation and for Him to be the Lord of your life. That means to be your God, to rule over your life according to His word. To say, Jesus, please come and begin a good work in me. And this morning, he wants to wash you and cleanse you. He wants to begin that good work practically. And we're in the process of practically growing in him. The Lord wants to do that for you today. He loves you so much. His arms are open and extended to you. If you don't know him, listen, humble your heart right now and call him. Lord, any in that place, meet them where they're at right now, Lord Jesus. Just draw them to yourself, Lord. We thank you, God. We praise you today. Let's lift our voices to the Lord right now.
God bless you today. Feel free to leave encouraged this morning. And listen, if there's things the Lord poked your heart with, man, do, do business with them. Amen. Encourage somebody before you leave today. The altar's open up here. There's the, the chow line's open up out there. So go be blessed and just pray that again, uh, you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.